the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. American prosperity is the bedrock of freedom and security all over the world. An obligation to the heritage of liberty and dignity handed down to us by our forefathers. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Welcome to the Pro-America Report. Thank you for being together. And uh, we've got some work to do today. Uh, We're going to talk later on in this program with uh, two men who I would say have different expertise on due process and the uh, legal system in America. Paul Ingracia is an attorney, a young attorney, a Cornell law grad who happens to be also a conservative. And he'll be calling us uh, from uh, New Hampshire. He'll be doing his interview from New Hampshire, where he is uh, uh, on the ground helping campaign for President Trump, who he has known for a few years and supports him. In fact, uh, Paul Ingracia writes a substack, paulingracia.substack.com, and he gets retruthed. He gets posted and retweeted or retruthed by Donald Trump, the president, former president. Amazing. Um, so he'll join us. And also we'll talk with Timothy Hale. Timothy Hale is a J6 prisoner. He has served his time. He's out on probation. He did nothing violent, no violence, three misdemeanors. I think it was could have been four misdemeanors, all misdemeanors, except the famous 1512 felony obstruction of official proceeding was convicted and uh, served. Oh, almost um, almost two and a half uh, years in jail. Got out just the last month in December. And a very interesting man. Uh, he's also been slurred and smeared by uh, the narrative machine. And so we'll talk with him. Uh, but first, look, I, I, the reason I mentioned that is because we have some real important news to talk through. Um, last week, I was up meeting with one of uh, Congressman Barry Loudermilk's staff, now, Congressman Loudermilk is a, a congressman from Georgia. Uh, he's a very nice man. He is very well known for giving a tour of the Capitol. Many members of Congress enjoy giving tours of the Capitol uh, to their constituents and others. And Congressman Loudermilk and his wife um, give a tour together. Uh, I mean, she's almost always with him in general. He gives the tour and she adds on to it. A wonderful, charming lady. And my wife and I took it uh, three or four months ago. It's extraordinary because he's kind of a, a, a history buff, but also he comes, uh, brings his Christian faith to it. And he gave some uh, details of the tour that were extraordinary. And, and he's very famous in the circles for having been slurred and smeared by the January 6th Select Committee of Nancy Pelosi, Liz Cheney, Benny Thompson, Adam Kinzinger. Uh, what they did was, they leaked out, they posted, um, they, they leaked, not posted, they leaked to the media 
uh, video of Congressman Loudermilk giving a tour uh, to constituents on January 5th, uh, 2021. And then they implied that he was giving a reconnaissance tour to people in anticipation of the January 6th events. Now, he gives tours all the time. So you could go on a, a, a Tuesday night or a Thursday night or a, a probably really not too many weekend nights because he goes home. But there's a lot of nights you could go look at him and you could have images of him giving tours. It was a total smear and a slur by Liz Cheney, who knew better, and Adam Kinzinger, who knew better. And then, of course, Nancy Pelosi, who didn't know better, didn't care. But that was that select committee, you know, that select committee that was hand-selected by Nancy Pelosi uh, to spend, I don't know, uh, 18 months, 18 months at over $18 million, a million dollars a month. I think it was more than that. I think it was 20 something million, but well, let's just call it, let's call it a million dollar, the million dollar a month committee, January 6th select committee. And when they were done, they created a multi four or 500 page report with lots of footnotes. And only in the footnotes did they mention the pipe bomber and they didn't get to the bottom of the gallows and they didn't say why they turned down the national guard. They didn't say anything. And it quickly became clear When the new Congress came in and the new Congress said, can we please see the materials from that report that the materials had disappeared? And what was admitted, it took months to get him to admit it, was Congressman Benny Thompson, who was the the, the, uh, titular chair of that select committee on January 6th. He said that they deleted uh, a number of deposition videos, hundreds. Now, the select committee had bragged Liz Cheney, Benny Thompson, Pelosi, Selectman, had bragged that they interviewed over a thousand witnesses for depositions, but they only produced a few hundred deposition transcripts and they only fit a, a, a fraction of that, that what they claimed they did of videos. They all disappeared. And then there was a famous blue team. There was a blue team of investigators that was supposed to be uh, looking at some aspect of the uh, January 6th. It was I think it had to do with enforcement, maybe. I don't I don't really know. But I know that former Congressman Denver Riggleman was paid to be on the blue team and do this research, do this uh, investigating. And lo and behold, when the uh, report was issued, all the blue team stuff disappeared. There was no blue team report. There was no investigation. It just disappeared. And now last in the last few days and last week, I was told this something like this was coming. They didn't tell me what. But Congressman Loudermilk in the new Congress, he's on the House Administration Committee, and he's the chairman of the subcommittee that's charged with digging into January 6th. And why not? Because the slur and smear of Congressman Loudermilk by Liz Cheney and her crew led to hundreds of death threats against him. Now, he's like the nicest man ever. Democrats and Republicans agree. He's just a nice guy. And he's getting death threats because they lied and smeared. And so now what he has discovered and his staff, especially incredible work by the staff, these are the ones that have been going through lots of video and going through uh, requests and having to go back and forth painstakingly. It's one of these it's one of these games that makes you sick when you see it and you say to yourself, how can government work? Because what's happening is the, the Loudermilk staff has to ask these questions of Benny Thompson and Liz Cheney and their staffs. But you have to ask it exactly right or they don't answer it. So you say, can we have all the documents from the, the, the select committee's investigation that spent um, over a million dollars a month for 18 months? Can we have all the documents? Yes, you can. And then you get the documents. You're like, well, stuff's missing. And they say, we gave you all the documents. 
Meaning, okay, you, you said there are this many documents. Where's the rest? Oh, 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 those are gone. Oh, oh th those were sent to the archives. Th those were sent to the White House. Uh, we don't know where those are. Uh, but so you have to play this game. And after all this time, you know, more than a year, you know, 15, 16 months, they finally got to the bottom of this, that when it was time for the Liz Cheney, Nancy Pelosi, Benny Thompson Select Committee on January 6th that had spent a million dollars a month that had hired a TV producer to do the made-for-TV primetime hearings that, that cut and pasted video, that slur, slurred and smeared people like Barry Loudermilk, that allowed this woman, Cassidy uh, Hutchison, to look like she was sort of a whistleblower when it appears now she contradicted herself in testimony and she may be a perjurer. She may not be a firsthand witness of anything. She may be a perjurer. And more and more details coming out. But when when Congressman Loudermilk, the chairman of the subcommittee on January 6th, said, hey, I, guys, I want to look at all those documents. I want to look at what you did. I want to look at your report. It turns out not only were they missing, they had been deleted and, and destroyed. But now as they're piecing it together, they're finding details of them. And they, they misled. They misled. The American people, they misled their fellow congressmen. They misled. And remember, the select committee's report, the Liz Cheney, Nancy Pelosi, Benny Thompson report was put into the congressional record and has been cited by courts, including the court, the Supreme Court of Colorado, as a reliable government document about the truth of what went on, when in fact it's a partisan hack job or worse. But the worst part is it's one thing if the DNC puts out a statement and they say, you know, we hate Donald Trump, blah, blah, blah. That's one thing. You, but you at least know the perspective. You know that they're coming at it as dishonest and dishonorable. They're not dishonorable. They're coming at it with a viewpoint. I don't even mean to say the DNC is not being dishonest or dishonorable when they say this is what we think of Trump, who's being dishonorable and, and deceitful and completely inappropriate is the Pelosi, Cheney, Benny Thompson select committee on January 6th that proposes, purports to offer truths and is aided by the narrative machine, big government and big media and big tech all working together. Big government is the, is the select committee report. Big tech and big media goes right along. Where is the media asking, um, how could you guys do a hundreds and hundreds of page report and not find the pipe bomber? How, how could you not uh, uh, do a hundreds and hundreds of page report and not come up with who built the gallows? What's going on here? What is happening? Nothing. Crickets. In fact, reinforcement of the message. And why? Because in courtroom, in a courtroom across town, just down the hill from Congress, they're persecuting and prosecuting citizens, we the people, and ultimately Donald Trump. The get Trump neurosis is so far gone. It's driven people so far past the pale of, of appropriate behavior. It's stunning. And that's what Congressman Loudermilk and his team revealed in the last couple of days. If you expect our system to work, I told you that the crown jewels is the Constitution, the rule of law, and our founding values that include honor and seriousness. And that's missing. We've been abused. We've been abused by Pelosi and Cheney and that Congress and that report. And we got to get to the bottom of it. All right, we got to take a break right now. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest is a new friend of mine in the last, I don't know, five or six months. Uh, Paul Ingrassio is a an attorney, a recent at- attorney, a passable bar up in New York, and he is a, a Cornell Law School grad, which is an impressive uh, place to go through, and also Fordham University, which is uh, from those of my uh, friends that know lots of uh, Jesuit schools like Fordham and my alma mater, Holy Cross, and others. So, uh, But Paul Ingrassio has really gotten a lot of attention in the last six months, I'd say, for writing very well on a Substack, and uh, you may see him if you go over to Truth Social. Uh, Donald Trump on his Truth Social network will oftentimes post uh, and retruth Paul Ingrassio's writing. So, in fact, Paul Ingrassio right now is up in New Hampshire. Welcome to the program, Paul. How are you? Thank you, Ed. It's a pleasure to be here, and I'm doing really well. Um, you know, a lot of momentum behind the 45th and soon to be 47th president up here, and. Um, you know, it's great to be, uh, you know, on the ground, seeing the support and uh, talking to you today. Well, and Paul, I know that you have, um, you know, when you're going through law school and sat of law school, you've practiced a little bit with a law firm uh, and you've been but you've been uh, the, I want to ask you first about your writing. Um, you write on Substack. Most good lawyers are good writers. That, that has to happen. Were you a writer before you got to law school? Is it something you started doing in law school? Because you really have uh, have a, an ability for it, a knack for it. Um, is that something that you worked on? And did you? Uh, what made you start doing a Substack? Well, I thank you very much for that, Ed. Um, I appreciate the compliment. I think I've always been a writer. Part of that is probably the reason why I went to law school in the first place. I've been writing for years now. I actually wrote um, you know, during college when I was in, at Fordham for their political review journal for their newspaper, I, I've, I've been writing my whole life. And obviously politics and Donald Trump has been front and center of that over the past couple of years. And prior to uh, going to Cornell, I uh, worked for a number of publications that was published in National Review, Daily Caller, American Greatness, American Mind, a few others. And, um, you know, that was just something that I kept up consistently. Um, you know, I had to put it a little bit on the back burner during law school, as you well are aware of how, how um, you know, how exhaustive and that, how much uh, the work you get during law school. So you can't write as much. But now that um, all that is past me, I, I began writing again. And no better place than Substack, which, um, you know, you can consolidate all your writings onto a single website. Basically, it's your own web page or a blog. And you don't have to worry about, you know, getting rejected by this magazine or that publication. Um, You know, even a lot of conservative publications I found, especially in 2020, 2021, um, in the lead up to that presidential election and in the aftermath of uh, January 6th, um, a lot of my, you know, more passionate pro-Trump writings um, were even being rejected by publications that, uh, claimed to be conservative at the time. So um, that's why I, I, I started writing on Substack. I sometimes cross-public, uh, cross-publish my writings on other websites, such as the Gateway Pundit. I've been uh, actually actively collaborating with them quite a bit of late. But, you know, Substack is a way for you to have full control over your writings. And then over time, you begin to um, acquire a number of uh, subscribers to your uh, newsletter, which I have. Uh, and, and, and a lot of that is thanks to President Trump, who, as you said earlier in the show, um, posts my articles quite frequently on his true social page, which is a blessing. Paul, 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 Paul remind, uh, re- remind me and then therefore our listeners, what is your Substack? What's the name of it so people find it? So it's, yeah, I don't want to ramble on too well. It's paulingracia.substack.com. And, okay. you know, I write about politics, legal commentary, so on and so forth. So that's kind of yeah. a, a little short story of how I got into it. 
Yeah. All right. Now, I want to ask you before we I will, I will finish by asking you about the uh, election. I know you're actually at the Trump headquarters right now in, uh, in New Hampshire, but yeah. I want to I want to ask you first about uh, due process. I, I have been asking a lot of right. my uh, commentators who are either lawyers or have an experience in this period of lawfare, you know, Catherine Engelbrecht, who has been, uh, you know, uh, almost unceasingly attacked in court. Um, you know, people, uh, Roger Stone is going to be on soon to talk about the same topic. When you think about your studies, you're going through law school the last three years, you're watching what's happening to the president, to President Trump, but also to guys like Flynn and to uh, to our friend Jeff Clark. How do you react? I, you know, you're a, you're a young, shiny, brand new lawyer who came into this, I think, because you believe in America. What's your thoughts right. and, and how does due process fit into that? Well, the law of the land is supposed to be the Constitution. I mean, that's the bedrock for our constitutional republic. Um, and that's been replaced over time by this unwritten Constitution, as we call it, by the left. Uh, this is what they when they, whenever they refer to our democracy, they're referring to this new constitution that's been promulgated by unelected bureaucrats, by judges um, over the past, you know, many decades. It's been decades in the work. So I, I see this presidential election basically as a competition of two uh, constitutions. We have the written formal official constitution, the one that President Trump um, represents and exalts. And then we have the counterfeit that represents sort of what we're seeing now with the political prosecution of President Trump and so many of his supporters and allies, people like John Eastman, people like Jeff Clark, and of course the January 6th defendants. Um, and that threatens, you know, that threatens our, the entire foundation of what it means to be an American, our, all our liberties, all our freedoms, and so on and so forth. So those are the stakes of this presidential election. In law school, you talk a lot, of, you know, the focus in terms of constitutional law courses is, is um, much of it is based on equal protection and due process. Although the way, of course, that it's presented in law school, and especially at an Ivy League school, law school, is there's quite a bit of focus and emphasis on substantive, or what is called substantive due process, which, you know, has, has been basically licensed to... Uh, uh, allow every everything under the sun from contraception to abortion rights to gay marriage, sort of all everything that, you know, the conservative movement, traditionally speaking, is against. But then there's another type of due process that is less talked about that we see um, is in is in great violation and great danger now um, with these political prosecutions of Donald Trump. And that's procedural due process. That's your right to an attorney. That's your right to a fair trial. That's your right to a speedy trial. That's your right to you know, an impartial judge and an impartial jury and a proper venue. All these things, of course, are being run roughshod over by the left um, and by sort of this weaponized justice system. So, um, you know, that, that those are the stakes. And that's that's kind of how I think of due process and parse it out um, based on, you know, you know, I'm only practicing for a little over a year now and a recent law grad. But that's sort of how I see it. Um, sort of as a newly well, attorney. Well, I, I, know, I know part of the reason you like being at Substack and then doing the writing you do is you don't have to have an assignment editor, but I, I'm going to assume the role of assignment <laughs> editor. I, 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 Paul, I, re I really think you should write a Substack on uh, the the election of two constitutions, you know, and, and the, exactly what you said. One is, one is the Constitution of America, which we've had for a couple hundred years, and the other is 
just a make believe, a, a made up one. That, that and if you want to make one up as you go along, if you want to paint by numbers as you go along, that's what the Biden that's what the Biden judges and the Biden Constitution is, and and that's uh, what's at stake. So there, there's your next Substack. Write that up, Paul. Now, uh, hey, before I let you go though, uh, you're you're on the ground in New Hampshire. Um, you got your wish. Uh, I mean, I, I, she got her wish. Uh, Nikki Haley wanted a one-on-one. She's got a one-on-one. What's it look like on the ground? Well, I've, we've made at this headquarters hundreds of thousands, thousands of calls over the past three, four days. I've, I've been up here since the, uh, Saturday. And the people, the volunteers that have been doing this who live in the state of New Hampshire have been on the ground for uh, weeks. And it seems like, you know, of the thousands of calls I made, Virtually everyone is pro Donald Trump. I mean, there was a handful. I probably could count on one hand how many Nikki Haley callers there were. Um, the ground game is great for Donald Trump. Um, everyone's in a good mood. You know, his, his son was there yesterday. Don Jr. Jason Miller was there. Trump himself visited our headquarters and has hosted three or four rallies, five rallies maybe over the past uh, couple of days. So, um, you know, it seems like New Hampshire is very sol- solidly in Trump's corner. It's just a matter of how what percentage he wins by. Will it be 15 percent? Will it be 20? Will it be perhaps even 30 percent or higher over Nikki Haley? I think a lot of people are seeing that Nikki Haley is a wolf in sheep's clothing, so to speak, although I think people she's exposed herself by this point as a warmonger, as a, an establishment uh, Republican and someone who's basically relying on the Democrat uh, voters who are now, um, you know, changed over and switched over to being independent for the purposes of this primary right. only. So right. but I think, you know, after this this race, I think it's pretty much over. He's the presumptive nominee. And we're just hoping for um, a very strong victory today. And I think we're going to get one. OK. Hey, Paul and Gracia, thank you for being on the show and thank you for all you're doing. And uh, been wonderful. Again, it's uh, Paul and Gracia and Gracia. Dot substack.com. Yeah. Check it out there. I got to run to a break. I'll get in trouble with my producers. Uh, it's Ed Martin here on the Pro, Pro America Report. We'll be back in a moment. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest is Tim Hale. Tim Hale, I hadn't met Tim Hale until about two weeks ago, but I'd known Tim Hale for almost two and a half years, I think. Uh, Tim Hale is a nephew of Cynthia Hughes, who uh, has been on this program many times, uh, and she and her husband, Sean, have been so uh, inspirational and uh, and so instrumental. Patriot Freedom Project is the organization that Cynthia founded and uh, PatriotFreedomProject.com, but also just showing up uh, many times with uh, people that are in uh, the jails, uh, defendants, as well as their families need stuff, uh, need help. And uh, I remember with Tim Hale, our next guest, Tim was, uh, did some time. He was in the D.C. Gulag at one point. I went with Cynthia. I think we got, Tim, some of your stuff. And there was these journals, and I, I didn't read them because they were your journals, but I, uh, Cynthia showed them to me, and extraordinary writing and extraordinary uh, drawings and uh, and just a lot, and made me think to myself, wow, you know, we hear about people, but the men there are actually, you know, living, breathing people going through things, and they have uh, interests and all. And so Tim Hale's now out and has been really out in the public uh, speaking about what happened to him with January 6th. And so, Tim, welcome to the program. How are you? 
Uh, I'm doing great, Ed. I'm, I'm happy to be on. Thank you for having me. Well, you're welcome. You know, I've been asking a lot of our guests about uh, due process. And I know, you know, you are somebody who did a lot of reading before you went to prison, but um, also there. I, I wonder what you think about due process. I, you know, I know we could talk granularly about the different experiences that's happened to you and to others. But, you know, you're looking at this now with the perspective of having been, been through it. Um, and although you're not through it all there, you know, you got some probation and all you're, you're at least out and home. Um, how do you feel about our system and and how the system works or isn't working? Well, uh, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not classically trained in law, but, you know, I, I did do my best while I was locked up to you know read as much case law as I could. But I'll, I'll just say this. I think that. January 6th or not, the federal system has really gotten far away from what I believe the founders intended when they framed the Bill of Rights. When it comes to, you know, just criminal justice in general, I think penology as a whole needs to be reformed. It's it's striking to me, though, that January 6th was used as a Trojan horse, I think, to really gut the Bill of Rights. Um, and so, you know, I mean, in terms of due process, I'm sure there's a million different definitions for due process. My understanding of due process, you know, ignoring the actual text of the Bill of Rights, due process is basically proper process, the proper way in which criminal procedures are supposed to be done so that, you know, the accused have a fair shot. And that's just not the case when it comes to January 6th defendants. We can talk about the different procedures, the way things have been going. I mean, I'm sure you know from being involved in all this how how many times speedy trial clocks have been told, you know, how many times things that should have been included as evidence were not included at all. The amount of times evidence has been withheld from defendants, the amount of times when things that were prejudicial, you know, should not have been included, but were. In my eyes, it just seems like anything, it just seems like Murphy's Law, the judicial system, anything that could have gone wrong or will go wrong has gone wrong and will go wrong. Every defendant I knew who actually fought their case has really gotten screwed, part of my French. No one should have to go through this process the way it's being done. And I understand that there nobody has to like what happened on January 6th, but the justice system exists. The justice system exists for the benefit of the accused just as much as the accusers, if not more. The reason yeah. we have a common law system like we do is because we're so weary of judicial fiats or, or the right. accusations of the state. And so I, I, every way, I mean, I'm just, I, I just posted something on my Twitter about this guy, Luke Coffey. I never met him, but from uh-huh. the video that I've seen, he didn't do anything. And he's being, in, he's in trial right now. And for what? For trying to stop people from fighting? For saying a prayer? It, it just seems terrible. So we're talking with Tim Hale. And, and Tim, let me set this up a little bit also. I meant to do this. You you were charged with all misdemeanors and one felony, the felony obstruction official proceeding. You did go to trial. And your background was, among other things, a civilian employee with the Navy, uh, which means you had to be checked out there and, and always. And no record, no previous record. Now, your background, you know, you come, a lot of us come from uh, all kinds of things. I, I think I know that your father is Puerto Rican. You've even got Jewish blood in your 
in your history somewhere. And yet you were before your trial, you were tried in the in the media. And, you know, some of it was stuff that was you. But some of it was the need to make something that happened different. You have to live with that in terms of your own life. But it was so incredible to watch you know, a, a caricature play out. And I don't know how you, how do you react to that? And how, I mean, when you say a regular process, a normal person should not have to go through character assassination in the Washington Post before they go to trial, not even like after, oh, he was a bad guy. And that was what, what, what was happening to you. Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, look, I, I, I'll be the first one to admit, to admit that I, I, you know, I haven't always been a great person throughout my life. I'm, you know, I had a very rough upbringing. I have a very dark sense of humor. And frankly, you know, I was a, a wannabe actor or comedian. And so, you know, I, I kind of dug my own grave to some extent when it comes to, you know, saying horrible things to get a few chuckles out of five people. And, you know, ultimately they were able to portray me as a far right extremist. They were able to portray me as basically the reincarnation of, uh, you know, the, the fearer. Unfortunately, right. that's part of that is my fault. But, you know, at the end of the day, being a jerk is not a crime. And I, I think I'm the tip of the iceberg, frankly. You know, you right. got to really think about how many people have had their entire lives turned upside down by the feds to portray them as something they're not. And, you know, again, you know I, I always say this. I got off lucky compared to most because I'm a single unmarried man. And at the end of the day, I'll be able to rebuild my life, maybe not my reputation. But you got to think about all these other guys who are locked up, who have wives and kids, who oh, really... Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not only the reputations, but, you know, think about how that think about how the slander impacts their families. Right. I mean, I'm fortunate enough to, to have grown up, you know, a very maybe we'll say a nihilistic introvert. But not everybody's like that. Not everybody can endure that kind of, you know, coverage. I was with well, a lot and- of guys. I saw it on their faces every day. It really yeah. wears on the soul. Well, and we're talking with uh, Tim Hale again. Uh, he is a January 6th survivor. Um, uh, three misdemeanors. One, the made-up felony, in my opinion, the 1512 obstruction of official proceeding, and never been to jail in his life, never been in trouble in his life, and yet portrayed in all these things. You know, I hope, I hope, Tim, that the standard is not to judge me on what I did five years ago or 15 years ago, that I'm a better man today than I was then. I know you and I have talked about the same thing. I mean, the idea that people can go and uh, in this day and age, uh, you know, go grab a little video or grab a photo of somebody five years ago. But, you know, the cautionary lesson to every kid that you ever, my, my own kids, I'll say, don't do it because they'll, they'll come and get your video. Uh, you know, Tim, you mentioned that um, January 6th is the tip of the eye. No, you didn't say this. I'm mixing what you said. But you did say January 6th gave you an insight into the federal system breaking down, that it's just not operating the way it's supposed to be. Is it fair to say that the the problem is an imbalance of power in favor of the prosecutors. It it feels to me like that's the most obvious abuse now that we can all say, whether you're a a three-time arrested drug uh, uh, possessor in New York City or you're a January 6th person, the prosecutors have have a stack deck through the judges and through the courts and everything else. Does that sound fair? I think that's fair. I think there's I think the whole system has, you know, to pardon the phrase, I think it's become incestuous. I think there's too much behind, you know, behind closed doors cooperation between the different branches. I think that we're just beyond the point of the justice system existing for justice rather than for checking boxes. I I think that um, 
there are all these different paradigms that are created through precedent. And over yeah. time, I think, I think new precedents and new precedents and new precedents have just allowed the Overton window to shift in terms of what is acceptable towards what is acceptable for defendants yeah. and what is acceptable yeah. for prosecution. Uh, Tim, unfortunately, I'm out of time. Thank you. And that, that's a great that last sentence. Um, you know, I'm glad you're both you're get, getting your voice heard and that you're out there because you've not only you probably had thought deeply about some of these subjects before you suffered through this, but now you're through the crucible. So uh, it's, uh, I think, a powerful uh, voice to lift. So we got to run, though, so I don't get in trouble with my producer, uh, Tim Hale, Timothy, Timothy Hale. You can find him on X. Hey, uh, what's your handle on X, Tim? My handle is Tim Hale, criminally funny J6er. <laughs> All right, we'll track it down. I'll put up on social media. All right, we got to take a break, everybody. Be right back. Ed Martin, Pro America Report, back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. The recent passage in Ohio of two radical ballot initiatives, issues one and two, for abortion and marijuana legalization, are an assault by out-of-state industries and billionaires to transform the state of Ohio and its Republican-controlled General Assembly, and it should strongly be resisted. Four to five Republicans voted against issues one and two, and that is to whom the Republican legislators should be listening rather than to the multi-million dollar barrage of television ads that ran in Ohio. Legislators should not be deterred by chance in the media that the people have spoken. Representatives exist to resist tyranny by a misled majority, and Republican officials should not abandon the pledges they campaigned on for the benefit of Ohio. Caving in to ballot initiatives is a betrayal of representative government and of the voters themselves. By denying the rights of voters to elect representatives to protect their state's way of life, Republicans give residents an incentive to move to Texas and other states that prohibit mob rule through ballot initiatives. Leftists are giddy about their schemes to spend hundreds of millions of dollars to use the ballot initiative process in about 20 states or 40 percent of the country so that they can enact laws rejected by legislatures there. Not content with transforming Colorado and the West Coast into havens hostile to families, liberals are exploiting the ballot initiative process to invade the Midwest with failed coastal values. In less than a year, marijuana, as enacted by ballot initiative in Missouri, has transformed into a $1.5 billion industry for pot, with pervasive billboard advertising and retail stores selling it. Child poisonings and motorcycle accidents are sharply higher in Missouri, while a crisis in fentanyl-related deaths has increased, too. The framers of our Constitution intended for the will of the people to be expressed through representative democracy. The ballot initiatives allow for out-of-state influences to come into a state and to implement policies that are at odds with the elected representative majorities. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Socialized medicine leaves bureaucrats to decide who is worthy of treatment. The result is health care via politics and rationing. Health savings accounts and competition give taxpayers more choice and more coverage. At phyllisschlafly.com, we want to hear what you want. That's phyllisschlafly.com. 
Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Hey, welcome back to the Pro-America Report. This is Ryan Height here to wrap up the show for us today. And a couple of great guests there. Good show. Very good show. And I had mentioned at the beginning uh, the reason that uh, Ed is out today. He was marching in the cold, marching in the snow with our National March for Life 2024 down in D.C. Uh, a lot going on, a lot of people that showed up. And um, it really is still incredibly important. And that is because the fight for life is not over. And that's that's what I wanted to come back and talk about today, wrap up uh, on that. Uh, before, before we do, real quick, let me go ahead and remind you. ProAmericaReport.com. You'll get to Ed's Substack. Uh, sign up there. See the stuff he's writing about. In fact, he had a really good one uh, today that he just put out that you will want to see. Uh, so go and do that. Talking about Joe wants Roe. And that's actually kind of a little bit of what I want to talk about here. But um, go to ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up there. And also, you can go to PhyllisLafley.com. Sign up and get the Daily Wink email to your inbox every weekday morning, as well as find all the podcasts, all the uh, standalones, all the segments, links, and different things that you will want from here, uh, from the Pro America Report. So go there. But today I wanted to uh, focus in real quick. I know we had to talk a little bit about fish and the administrative state up front here in the wink, but you still need to know the March for Life goes on. I, 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 the, the theme this year, I know they talked quite a bit about marching into the post row America, uh, even though Roe v. Wade has been overturned, all that has done, it has not ended the fight. It has not ended the marching. It has allowed more freedom at the state level, particularly to enact pro-life laws. And if there has been anything we've seen this year, it's that this is not a wide open field for pro-lifers to have their, you know, you know, their, their picking uh, on what they want to pass and what they want to see passed in different states. The left is there and ready to fight. The left is there and ready to message and narrate and lie to the American people and continue to push forward this culture of death, this really disturbing and dark trend of pushing forward abortion as some sort of key empowerment and right of women. As, as disturbing as that is, it's true. This is their... Uh, line that they have been feeding people. And and that's one of the things. I know that Ed talked about it today, and he's not here. I'm going to talk about it, too. This is their top priority. You might not realize, but it is. This is the one of the primary things that the left, that Democrats are messaging on, and restoring Roe, restoring this, this supposed national right to abortion, is one of their top priorities. And guess what? They are... I mean, it sounds insane that, that this is what they would want, because you and I could think, how could you possibly argue for this? But it's really honestly true. It is what they have put forward. And it's as we see in big places around the country and states and big issues that have come up, uh, it is something that they can successfully message to the American people. And I think that this is something we all need to understand. There's make no mistake. There is an incredible amount of money behind this. I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars in this industry, I would venture a guess if we go worldwide. Um, but I mean, Planned Parenthood alone gets almost a um, a billion dollars in U.S. tax dollars every year. So there are a lot of places that do not want this industry to go away. They will fight tooth and nail. They will pump money into it. They will pump candidates and campaigns into it. It is on. This is more than ever before the time now that we must move to almost guerrilla warfare, moving state to state, legislature to legislature, in the legal world, in the legislative world, doing the work. The victory over Roe was just the beginning. And I feel like there are a lot of folks who this was a good celebratory moment, uh, but we need to understand as conservatives more than ever before, it is time to go. It is time 
to move. Um, and it, sure enough, the left is moving immediately. And, and it really is. Again, I was just we were t- discussing this today around the Phyllis Schlafly Center. It really is just an incredibly grotesque turn that has been taken uh, in the last several years. This messaging that the left has used uh, over the issue of abortion. It, it really more than ever before. It's not this. You know, you remember the days when it started it was safe, legal and rare. These were the original talking points of the pro-abortion move. Oh, we just want it to be safe and legal and very rare. Well, that stuff is is gone out the window. In fact, gone out the window are the uh, stories where you know, like we said, this this is a policy that we have to have in place because it helps people. You know, uh, young people, uh, like a young woman, for instance, that uh, that gets raped, but she still has her whole life ahead of her, or or this or that or the other, or, or you know, an incestuous situation, or all of these things. They they used to have reasons that were practical that plugged in, but now they've really just turned to this pretty sick and demented uh, line that that abortion and, and they're not even cloaking it like it for years it was under health care we called it this reproductive health care but now that we're just outright celebrating abortion is what the left seems to do calling this a pathway to independence and womanhood really killing your child is is a is a rite of passage like this is this is nuts it, it's it's really dark and demented and yet this is where the left is pushing this is the stuff that they're using and they are militantly and well-fundedly pushing this forward in the states we must respond the work has just begun it is far from over and we have got to respond and we have got to be there in the legislatures in the courtrooms state to state pro-life advocates must push on like never before because now we have the freedom to do so and make no mistake with rogue on the left is not resting on their haunches they have moved forward with all speed with new messaging with massive amounts of money to ensure that this dark and disgusting industry stays in place there are a lot of powerful people that rely upon this so the march for life today has still happened roe has roe is no longer um, the quote-unquote law of the land, as the left liked to say. But it is the biggest time now that we must seize to move forward. So that's why we still march. That is why the march happens today. And I want to encourage you, that is why we need more than ever strength and leadership and movement forward in the pro-life community, state to state, in the legal and the legislative fields. We can't stop now. So I wanted to leave you with that. Thank you for being here on the Pro-America Report with us today. Uh, thank you for Ed being a constant good leader for us, uh, great leader on this show and interviewing wonderful guests. Thank you to Mason, my co-producer, for helping me keep things on track. And thank you most of all to you, our wonderful listeners who interact with us and make this program successful, make it what it is. Thank you so much. We appreciate you. Have a wonderful weekend, everyone. We'll talk to you next week back here on the Pro-America Report. Go to ProAmericaReport.com, PhyllisSchlafly.com in the meantime, and we will see you next week. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.